Finally, a talk show that helps you defeat mediocre Christianity and walk in genuine friendship with God. Coach and Joe starts right now. Hey, 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 welcome to Coach and Joe. My name is Chad Norris, lead pastor here at Bridgeway Church. And I'm with a friend of mine, Brandon Vincent, who I just found out your daughter said that on stage Sunday, you look very tall compared to me. That's correct. So we will now have to get church. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I... What are you laughing really at? Funny. Yeah. That's funny. I think it's funny, too. Well, I mean, you're 6'4", for heaven's sakes. Yep. 6'4 is not average. I think my height's more average than yours. Yeah. 6'4", but you didn't play basketball growing up. Didn't play basketball. Played baseball. Yeah. Played high school baseball. Played Legion ball a year after that. Could have walked on at Lee University, but... Uh, oh, you went to Lee? Yep. Yep. Went to Lee. Were you a musician up there? No. Big music school. No. I, I, I signed up to do generic, uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't finish the degree. But How'd you get to Lee? You must have grown up charismatic. I did. I did. I grew up in Church of God. Um, my grandfather was actually... Um, at the headquarters there, at Church of God headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee, and they live there. They still live there to this day. And um, my mom went to Lee University, so I just figured it'd be a good, good go of it. But I only did a year. Only did a year in college. Ended up enlisting in the military. Did you? <laughs> yep. Where'd you go? Went to the Air Force. Air Force, and um, you know, did the basic, did training tech school, and then I came back as a reservist at Charleston Air Force Base. I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. So we're doing a week on recovery, addiction, mm-hmm. vulnerability, steps out of addiction. You know, as a 48-year-old man who's been pastoring for over 20 years now, most people lean towards addiction to something. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, workaholism, mm-hmm. substance. It's amazing that what humans can find to get yep. their comfort out of. Yep. You know what... Uh, I think a great def- a working definition of idolatry is it's me gaining my identity or strength in anything other than the Father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For you, it was alcohol. Yeah. For others, it could be addiction to ministry. Yeah. It can be an addiction to marketplace work. Mm-hmm. But there is hope in whatever people are addicted to. Mm-hmm. Your addiction of alcoholism was a brown bag issue in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. Now I find that yeah. sexual addiction is more of a brown bag issue. What do I mean by brown bag? If you came down the altar at the altar in the 60s or 70s and confessed your alcoholism, it wasn't as celebrated as it is now. Like when, when alcoholics come to the altar and just say, hey, I need help, it's like people are just so excited to see that person get help. But there's some other addiction, sexual addiction, just mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. a little more brown bag issue. Yeah. For you, you came clean and said, I can't do this anymore about four years ago. So October 6th, you said it'll be four years of sobriety? No, that's correct. Four years next week. All right. So. That's exciting. Yep. Let's do this. Let's go back. Let's go back to the bad days. Okay. Um, not to glorify your addiction, not to glorify where you were, just to tell the story how bad was it? What did it look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wife came to a breaking point. Yeah. Take your time. Tell your story. Yeah. Um, I uh, uh, probably been drinking ever since uh, high school. Um, you know, off and on here and there. You know, just recreational drug use. Uh, when I enlisted in the military, um, all that had to go. All that had to be gone out the window. But the one thing that was acceptable there was alcohol, and so I started drinking. Um, 
pretty regularly there. And that's where I believe those habits were formed. It turned into party time. Every time I drank, it was party time. I'd just be, you know, anytime it touched my lips, I just wanted more and just wanted to keep, keep the party going. And I was a very social drinker, very, um, you know, wanted to just be around people every time I did that. And, um, you know, two turned into four, four turned to eight, and so on and so forth. And it just uh, just kept uh, compiling, uh, you know, getting bigger and bigger. Until uh, finally one day, it became more important than anything else. It, it became that idol. Did you know that was happening? No, no, it's very elusive. How, I don't mean this in a condemning way at all, but how'd you get so blind to it? How do people, how come you couldn't see it? I, I don't know. I mean, that's a hard question. It really is. Because it's, it's tangible. It is. You're getting drunk. You see it. But you still couldn't, you couldn't see that. It, it's almost as if it takes a mind of its own. Huh? It, it really is. Um, one of the things my sponsor kept referring to was Romans 7, where you have this battle going on between your flesh and your spirit. Like, you, you want to stop, but you can't. And like I said, it, it's, got a, it's got its own intentions, its own, it, it's, it's a strange thing. It's, a, it's, it's hard to put that in a box. Um, but that was, that was what was going on. It was happening. And I think the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, I can, I can manage this. I can, because I wanted to keep that in my life. I did. I wanted to keep that as part of, part of who I was. Um, what happened? How did it reach a boiling point? It, it came to a point where um, Elizabeth said, you know, if you don't get help, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving. Why'd she say that? How, what, what kind of boiling point did it get to? So I was, that, that day I had got so belligerent. Actually, the night before I got so belligerent to where um, we were arguing and fighting. I didn't even want to eat. I didn't want to go in the house and eat. I was just outside. And um, we had got to a point, and she, I think she just threw her hands up. She just said, I ain't, I ain't putting up with him anymore. And I was just content to sit outside and, and do my thing. And I got inside and woke up the next morning. And, um, you know, she said that she said those words to me. And I had, had an epiphany, I guess you could say. I guess the grace of God just really hit me that night in a way that I was not used to. Tell the story about gasoline. So a hurricane had just come through. I can't remember which one. And there was a bunch of wood and debris and everything outside. So I'm chopping wood. I'm burning it. Big bonfire. And I wanted to sit with my cooler and my fire, and I wanted to keep burning. But I ran out of wood, and the fire's going out, and you know I still wanted to keep going, which is kind of the nature of what you do. You want to keep, keep the party happening, I guess. I don't know. Well, anyway, fire's going out, and I said, well... I'm going to get a get, get gallon of gasoline. I'm going to pour this on the fire and keep this going. And you know how pretty stupid that is, right? So in my stupidity, I'm dumping this gasoline on this fire, and it doesn't go up in smoke or flames or anything. That actually goes out, and the fire smolders. And I sat down, and I looked at that, and I thought, that's not supposed to happen. You know, I'm supposed to see this big raging flame and I sat back and I looked and I could I, I think in my spiritual mind I'm still born again Christian I'm spirit filled at this point in my drunkenness looking and I felt like I saw angels standing around me saying there's only so far we're going to let you go and at that point I said alright but you go inside and tell Elizabeth no I went to bed crashed down went to bed 
Woke up next morning. She said those words to me. Oh, see, so she said them in the morning. She said them in the morning. And so I woke up and I said, you are right. I do need to get some help. And at that time, I didn't even mention the whole story about the gallon of gas or whatever. But um, I knew that at that point, God's trying to get my attention. You got real in one moment. Do you just attribute you becoming authentic? Because you haven't been authentic the last five years or, <laughs> or the before. How long? How long? Many years. How many years was it? You mean in leading up to mm-hmm. sobriety? Um, so this was actually my second attempt at sobriety. I was actually sober for two years and then went back to it. Relapsed. And relapsed and went back to it. At the time, I wouldn't have called it a relapse, but that's what it was. What do you think flipped the switch of authenticity? God? N- knowing, uh, knowing because we had breakfast last week, was yeah. it knowing what you could lose? It was, the, as far as authenticity goes, I knew... There, there was a moment in one of our meetings that I was like, in order for me to get clear of this, because I knew, I, I didn't know it at the time, but they had told me, my sponsor had told me that um, the drinking is just a symptom of the problem. It's just a, a, a means that you're, cover, you're using this to cover up for something else. What is that? And until you get to the root of that, that's when... That's when the healing comes. And that's when God steps in. So to me, that's where the authenticity comes in because you have to look at who Brandon was at that time. And I did not like what I saw. And I said, this is, is this what I want my life, my legacy to be? You know, for, for my family, I want to destroy my family. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. So I have to face this. I what, have to deal with it. What did the Father show you? Is that the root? Do you want to talk about that or um, personal? The, the root of that was a lot of hurt a lot of offense, a lot of past relationships that um, I felt like people had transgressed on, for lack of a better word. They, they, they were just mean to me, you know? And so part of that was, well, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them who I can be. I'm going to, you know, and it's just this, this spirit of pride. It really was. It just came over me, and I just, I got very cocky, and, you know, the rest is history. So You and I are having a meeting this afternoon with some leadership here. We're mm-hmm. talking about starting recovery groups. Every time I go to say group singular, the Holy Spirit will check me and he says, it's going to be groups. That's what he wants to grow it into. I can and, see that. Yeah, because people need help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're all hurting to some degree. We need yeah. we need people to help us get to a more whole place in our identity in the Father, right? Yeah, yeah. But here's one of the things I think about our meeting this afternoon is you and I right now are, are really chewing on three steps that help people get whole. Mm-hmm. And one of them is just relentless, rigorous authenticity. Yeah. The next one is surrendering control. It's, it's giving control up. Yeah. And then the third one is willing to do the uncomfortable work. Yeah. Those three things seem to have been a progression in your journey. Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. So um, through, through the course of us meeting together, and we've kind of agreed on this, is that these three steps are, in a way, the, the 12 steps condensed down into three. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot more, and we're still trying to you know, weigh out all this stuff, but um, I, I truly believe that. Um, cause, because when you, if you can go through these three steps and, and get to a point to where um, it's not about your disease, it's not about you, because, again, that, that disease or any addiction, I call it a disease, is just a self-will. You have this huge self-will. I want to feed myself and take care of my issues and my problem with this addiction, whatever that is. There are people right now listening that they're not addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. 
but they're addicted to shame. Mm-hmm. Some people find their identity in hanging on to their pain. Mm-hmm. It becomes an addiction. It becomes an idol. Mm-hmm. When Jeremiah Johnson was here, uh, the prophet, he, he gave a word over this house of stop wallowing in pain. Some people actually enjoy mm-hmm. pain mm-hmm. because it's their identity. Yeah. So some people are addicted to food. Some people are addicted to workaholism. Whatever the addiction is, what advice would you give someone to start moving towards more freedom? Because you said that what, and I love this, what we're going to call the groups is recovery. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not an AA group. Mm-hmm. It's not an NA group. It's a recovery group. Yeah. These three principles that we just named, yeah. rigorous authenticity, surrendering the outcome, doing uncomfortable work, yeah. those apply to someone who's addicted to pain. Absolutely. Some people get addicted to just... Honestly, unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. The religious spirit, some people can be addicted to religion. Mm-hmm. The Father showed me recently, a lot of people are, they, they know the Bible, but not the father of the Bible. You can make anything an idol. Mm-hmm. What is some practical advice from you, or a recovering addict who's now on October the 6th, four years free? Mm-hmm. How does a person move towards freedom? What's the first step? First step is just admitting uh, you have a problem. Um, I would just say if, if, if you are still holding on to whatever it is that you're holding on to, you have to get to a point to say, this is controlling my life. And I have to admit that I am, I'm powerless. I need help. I, I don't know what that looks like, but, but that's okay. Um, and everybody's bottom looks totally different. But you have to get to a point to where you say, okay, something's got to change. Something's got to happen. And I don't, you don't have to know what it looks like with that change, but you just have to get to the step where you say, I'm willing to just let it go. BB, what got you over the hump? You, why did you go to your recovery group? How long was it? 16 weeks? So, uh, it was supposed to be 12 weeks and then it turned into almost four and a half months because of all the quarantine. So, but 12 weeks was the definite number. <laughs> what, what, what got you over the hump? Why'd you go? I didn't want to be the way I was. I'd, didn't want to let all the things that were controlling me control me. Because um, once I saw it, once I became aware by God's grace that I was letting my past control me and I was holding mm-hmm. on to things, I just didn't want, I saw the fruit that mm-hmm. was not good and I didn't want it. First Timothy 1.15, Paul boast. He boasted in who he was not instead of who he was. Yeah. It's actually co- a great question, if I can interject. Yeah. If somebody asked the question, um, as a born-again Christian, we are no longer called sinners, but we still sin. Why does AA have you speak in identity of a former person you were by saying, hello, I'm an alcoholic? Well, I would, great I would encourage the person asking that question to go to 1 Timothy 1.15. Yeah. Because Paul says that he was the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so am I a saint or I'm a sinner? Yes. yes. So Ephesians 1.1 1, 1 mm-hmm. says to the saints who are in Ephesus. Yes. Paul says in Ephesians 1 15, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 1 15, he was the chief of sinners. You say, well, I'm righteous. I'm clean in the Father's eyes. He, yes, but me confessing who I'm not, because Paul boasted in his weakness. Mm-hmm. That's how a grace hit Paul. Mm-hmm. And a lot of false theology, specifically hyper-graced, if all you focus on is one side of the paradox of who, who you are in, in your righteousness, well, that's absolutely true. You're as clean as Jesus uh, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. However, sanctification, 
the growth of sanctification. You've been sober four years Mm -hmm. because you admit, God, I can't do this. I need you. If you start with confessing, you know, actually, I, I am. I'm not. I'm not weak. I'm actually very strong. That's yeah. how I relapse. That's how you relapse. That's how I relapse. That's how Christians relapse all yeah. the time. Yeah, because I went from, mm-hmm. oh, I think we can do this. I think I can handle this. I can, I can manage it on my own. What happened in your relapse? Um, it was just a simple thing. Hey, I'd, I'd like a glass of wine at dinner, or you know, just you know, a, a beer when we go out tonight. And it was just one of those things. Like I, I think I can manage this now. Mm-hmm. But that was just the first step. In, in this long thing here. Um, to answer that question, I want to comment on that too, yeah. is that this is a daily thing for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's non-negotiable. It's a daily thing. I wake up in the morning. I mean, this is, this is what I got to deal with. I have to say, I'm an alcoholic today. And if I don't get back to home tonight and lay my, pit, uh, my head down on my pillow sober, then mm-hmm. it's, it's no good. Mm-hmm. So each day, it's, a, it's just a reset. And maybe we can model the same thing that you're talking about here. It's like, you know, I need to admit that I, yeah. God is God and I'm not. And so that, that way I have to, you know, start back over with him again. And I think there's, there's, there's victory in that. I do. You know, when I pray for people and supernatural things happen or other people I know, they pray for people and supernatural things happen, whether it be a physical healing, an emotional healing, a prophetic word that's so accurate someone is just stunned. I think the best conduit for that to happen is a person that realizes how weak they are. Mm-hmm. When This is why I love supernatural ministry, specifically physical healing ministry. There's nothing I can do right. for that person. It's not you. It's not me. It's not you. But a lot of Christians that are opposed to supernatural ministry, it's really out of pride. It's not unbelief on the supernatural. Because mm-hmm. you'd have to rip most of the New Testament up to take the supernatural works of Jesus Christ out of the Bible. Matter of fact... For my Calvinistic friends, I love to say all the time, John 14, 12, any man believes in me will do the same things I have done. Even greater things will he do because I'm going to be with the Father. Well, when I go to pray for someone, I got to lean on God. Mm-hmm. I was at the Peddler's Tech House a few weeks ago. I got a word of knowledge over a waitress. It actually stunned me. When I flow in the prophetic, the key to that is not, I, there's nothing, I, Abba, I need you. Mm-hmm. My dog's named Preacher. Mm-hmm. He is, he's one of the most anxious dogs I've ever met. Every night I get home, I have to spend five minutes just holding him. It's going to be okay. Oh, gosh. He's just shaking. <laughs> he likes to pee himself. BB knows Preacher very well. Yes. You know what the father told me one day? He said, I sovereignly gave you that dog. <laughs> when I come inside, I've never beaten Preacher. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to. I never have. When I come inside, he'll flip over on his back, mm-hmm. and he puts his legs up, mm-hmm. and he's saying, I'm not a threat. Preacher, in his weakness, has become, I, there's a soft spot in my heart for him. Keys wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. I think if we had the posture of this with our paws up, mm-hmm. because what you're not saying is, hey, I'm an alcoholic, and there is no hope. And see, that's to answer that question. Yes. No, you're saying, I'm an alcoholic, and God, I need you. Yeah. Well, now, four years later, there's sobriety. Mm-hmm. And like the man we're learning from right now, the drug addict from Nashville who wrote a book, he's now been clean 17 years and God's exploding in his life. The purpose of vulnerability is not to admit that I'm hopeless. It's to admit I I need grace to hit me. Mm. It's a partnership with you and God. Like you have to admit weak so that he can be strong. And the, the cool thing about it all is he gives you all the credit when he's doing all the work. 
So, I mean, I mean, that's the only way I know how to explain it. It's, it's a paradox. It's a paradox. It's both and. It's like, yes, I'm weak, but I'm winning because of that. Why are people scared of paradox? Because it makes sense. Most of the time, it didn't, didn't make sense. I, at least in my mind, it didn't make sense. Do you know we love control, and we love yeah. we love controlled theologies. Mm-hmm. When I was at uh, Beeson Divinity School, I went to school with Five Point Calvinists, many of them, and uh, Calvinistic theology can just about answer any question, mm-hmm. which is why I was so drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, as I walked more and more <clears throat> with God, I, 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 I just He led me to a place where. I'm in a paradoxical place where there's so much tension. Mm-hmm. Any theology that can answer any question you have, I mean, that's a little... It's not good. And, so, and some, somehow, with me admitting my own weakness and going really low and saying, I don't know. Yeah. That's just putting God in a box. You answer everything about Him and you try to say, this is God from this side, this is God from that. You can't do that because God's... God's too big for that. And see, I actually love yeah. systematic theology. I love system. I love structure. But it's one side of the paradox. The other mm-hmm. side of the paradox is freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, which is it? Freedom or structure? Both. Well, which is it? Am I saint or sinner? Yes. Yes. Well, well, which is it? Word or spirit? Yes. yes. <laughs> and what I hear us saying on this show, we can land the plane right here. You admit you're weak, and then he makes you strong. Mm-hmm. You know how I can prove this biblically? He typically will pick a weak person to do something great through in the Bible. Mm -hmm. What you got, BB? I do have one more question I think would be great, um, specifically for Brandon from Charlotte. Um, She's asking, if you knew someone Mm -hmm. who was where you were four years ago, Mm -hmm. how would you approach them? (laughs) That's very personal. I do know Mm -hmm. someone who's right where I was. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to, to get someone who's like in that spot, unless they're able to see it. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned I was able, I became aware yeah. of my issue. A lot of people mm-hmm. aren't aware yet. And so the only thing you do is just kind of just be there. Mm-hmm. Be there. I, I, I'm here for you, man. If you, if you need help or whoever it is. And just say, you know, if you need, if there's anything I can do, um, I don't agree with the, some of the choices you're making, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there's a way to get through this. There's a way to lay that burden down and, and to get help. Mm. And so that's what I would say. It's just a lot of times people just have to hit their bottom. Yeah. And Bottom's a grace. It is. Yeah. A lot of times we get in the way and we think we're helping people. Yeah. And you're not. You uh, can't make somebody see. You can't. This, this uh, TED <laughs> Talk we watched, Mike said he was urinating blood. So when his family did an intervention. Wow. Mm. He, remember he said he's urinating blood and said, I don't have a problem, guys. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. when he saw it, mm-hmm. yeah. reminds you of the prodigal son, right? Man, I'm, I'm came to his senses. Pouring pouring gas on a fire. I, that sounds like a completely stupid thing to do. Yet in my you know stupor, that was normal. I was like, okay, let's do this. And then I woke up. You know, it's like, wait a minute, this is not a good idea. You want to know why I'm growing in trust with you? Is because when the father started identifying to you that you were going to help lead out here some recovery stuff. It scared you. Mm-hmm. The moment that doesn't scare you mm-hmm. is an indicator of pride. There should be, because Simon Peter said, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's him focusing, I guess, on who he is in Christ. There better be the thought of, God, my flesh is capable of doing anything. Mm-hmm. I need you. Oh, I need you. So I'm going to be like preacher, my dog. I'm just going to stay surrendered to you. Mm-hmm. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ that you would 
stay in paradox, and you would boast in your weakness so that the power of God could hit your life. God bless. Thanks for joining us on Coach and Joe, a YouTube talk show and podcast that helps you walk in genuine friendship with God. Check out CoachandJoe.com for epic merch, weekly blogs, and ways to help keep us up and running. We'll see you next time on Coach and Joe.